Steve Alcoholic. And tonight's a speaker meeting, and um, I usually just say, hey, this is who the name, and then get out of here. But I'll say something about <laughs> Dan. I've known Dan for 30 years, I guess, or more. And, uh, and, and I've discovered it's interesting that I can meet people, the same person twice now in life, and, uh, in different ways. When I first met Dan, we were both 18 and in college, and uh, I was drunk most of the time, but I don't don't know about Dan, but um, then I continued drinking for 30 years, and he stopped drinking pretty soon after college, so I knew him uh, first as we were both drinkers, second I was the drinker and he was the non-drinker, and then the third time I guess I've gotten to know Dan is, is we're both sober and it's been interesting seeing that and learning about how to how to do this from him because he's my sponsor and uh it's he's been super helpful to me um i was uh he lives in wimberley i don't know if i'm allowed to say that but uh it's been odd uh but good because he's not in my home group i kind of felt like a freedom to have have a being a home group without my sponsor I thought it was kind of interesting and uh, I have never really heard him tell a story I don't think except for during my fifth step when I drove out to Wimberley and he said lay it on me and uh, I spoke for maybe two minutes and he was like is that all you got and I said that's all I got and uh, then he told me his story for the next hour which is a way of like kind of leading by example of how to um, do a fifth step because I was still just stuck and kind of brain dead. But uh, that also taught me about how AA works. uh... Anyway, here's Dan. Thanks. I'm Dan, I'm an alcoholic. And I think I told you God spelled backwards his dog. <laughs> and, uh, uh, my sobriety day is March 25th, 1989. <coughs> and that was, uh, I, I had been drinking since I was 14, so I, I guess I put in about 10 years of drinking. And uh, uh, honestly, I don't know how I didn't get uh, multiple DWIs and uh, had a few PIs in college and, and wound up in the in the clink a few times, and uh, I think twice in New Orleans, uh, but uh, a little little hazy uh, recollection, but uh, uh, I've been sober since my first meeting. Uh, I have not been sane since my first meeting, but I have been uh, without alcohol and anything else, aside from uh, lots of coffee and uh, caffeine and Red Bull and that shit, and uh, maybe a little tobacco, but uh, um, uh, I, I guess... Uh, uh, I, I've been very fortunate uh, uh, in, in hindsight uh, from my perspective that uh, I hadn't had to go out and uh, improve my story or, or uh, suffer a lot of consequences that some of us seem to have to, have to uh, go through. And, uh, but I, I do remember uh, uh, going to meetings with, uh, I, w- I got sober in Houston, and uh, there were a lot of, a lot of the meetings I, I wound up uh, putting on my list and making uh, every week were, uh, they had a lot of long-term sobriety in it. And uh, 
uh, more than half of them were men, men's meetings, and uh, and the, the ten the sobriety there tends to be uh, very long term. And uh, I felt very fortunate to be around guys that had been sober a long time that uh, you know had raised families and run businesses and you know done done something with their life. Uh, and, uh, and those guys allowed me to hang out and uh, you know. Uh, uh, as I made myself uh, a regular, they, they kind of opened up more and uh, invited me to go to coffee either beforehand or go get something to eat afterwards. And, uh, and that's something that uh, I know a lot of people in, in the meetings in the cities, they do a lot more of that than, uh, than maybe the, some of the meetings out, out where I go. Uh, the small town meetings, there's less of that. And at least that's what I've experienced. And uh, I kind of miss that. Uh, I try to get around to other meetings. Uh, Go to most of my meetings in Wimberley, but uh, uh, as a, as a, my first one of my first sponsors said that uh, alcoholics by and large are a gregarious lot, and that means we get bored real quick. And so uh, he uh, he suggested that I get to a bunch of different meetings, and uh, and if there was some that I, that I didn't like as much, and maybe uh, don't go to them as much, and go to others that I did like more. And so uh, I took that advice and. Uh, uh, there's less of an opportunity to do that in a small town. Uh, you got to drive pretty good distance, and that's. Uh, but I try. I, I go to I go to Nebraska's. Uh, I've had to go to Nebraska's because it, it reminds me of the AA I got sober in, and uh, where there's a real uh, conscious effort to try to look after the newcomer. And in uh, the in the meetings I've gone to Wimberley, the time I've been there, uh, I've seen a lot of people come in, three, ninety days, six months, nine months, and they're gone, and you never see them again. And uh, a few times you read about what happens, and uh, it's uh, it's usually a pretty tough, a tough uh, uh, smack. And uh, so, uh, anyway, for what that's worth, uh, that, those were those were lessons that I learned early on, uh, things I observed early on. A lot of a lot of the AA, a lot of the a lot of the wisdom I heard from the meetings, uh, you know, it panned out in reality as far as what happens uh, uh, because of. The nature of the disease. Uh, uh, they 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 told me it's the only fatal disease that tells you you don't have it on a daily basis. And uh, they also they there was a couple of three other understatements that I've I've kind of hang on to. One is uh, more will be revealed. That was always one that uh, I kind of liked and I didn't know why and and now I know. And then the other one was uh, uh, I get drunk and we stay sober. And uh, I had a I had a brush that I'll get to a little later in the in the chronologically uh, around 17 years I, I came real close to just cashing it all in and uh, uh, just twisting off and uh, and, and uh, going out in a in a blaze of uh, despair. But uh, fortunately, I didn't have to do that and I didn't have to pick up a drink. But uh, did have to take uh, spend 14 days in a psych ward, which is always a uh, a great way to. Uh, Learn about that other saying that uh, God has a sense of humor, and uh, and uh, and uh, and if you want to make God laugh, just tell Him your plans. And uh, and and all those uh, sayings that I heard from the old timers that uh, uh, had stuck around a little while, uh, you know, it's just it's one of those things you got to experience. You know, you can hear about it, somebody tell you intellectually, you can understand it, but. Uh, until you experience it, you really kind of don't know what they're talking about. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, my story is I was a guard variety drunk. Uh, I grew up in a, I'm, I'm, I'm number six out of seven kids. 
big uh, Irish Catholic family, and uh, uh, it was mostly kind of like uh, uh, I related to being in a treatment center from day one. And uh, just uh, my mother was a, uh, a neat freak, and she wanted the house uh, uh, presentable. And uh, my old man was a, was a hardworking guy. He stayed staying a lot of hours at his office. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, the, the, it was always a wait till your father gets home is, was pretty much the deal. And uh, so he had to be the... He had to be the bad cop, and uh, I don't know if he uh, uh, liked that that uh, assignment, but uh, that's the way it was. And uh, uh, so I I, I was uh, the tail end of, of seven, and so uh, I had to uh, get used to being overruled a lot, and uh, uh, feeling like uh, whatever was coming out of my pie hole was uh, just hot air, and not much was listened to because uh, you know the shit travels downhill, and. Uh, so, uh, so that I think set up a, a kind of in my own way. I think I, I, I learned how to be a pretty good uh, delusionist. Uh, I kind of was in my own world and uh, did my own thing, and uh, had a real good imagination as a kid. I had a great had a great childhood. Uh, uh, I knew when I was in trouble, and there, I knew where the line was. Uh, 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 it was a, a disciplined home, and. Uh, uh, Parents took me to church. They did all. They checked off all the boxes of, of what it took to be a parent. And I don't know how they did it. I mean, I, I don't think I, I could have done it as as good as they did. But uh, um, I'm the only one that I know in my family, uh, direct family, that's in in a 12 step program. Uh, lots of my siblings have been to therapy, and uh, I lost uh, my second oldest brother to uh, uh, illness. He was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was 18. Uh, pretty much uh, clinically uh, uh, schizophrenic and uh, uh, was a wound up being a pretty high functioning one but uh, he took had to take the meds and uh, those do a pretty uh, number on your uh, internals and he, he passed away about four or five years ago and uh, uh, it was it was that thing in my family that was kind of the elephant in the room mental illness is something that's very difficult for families to deal with uh, kind of like alcoholism and, uh, you know, there's a lot of covering up and just uh, if we don't talk about it, it's not there. And, uh, and, and it's funny because the, that, that one sponsor I had, uh, he would ask me at times we'd be having coffee and he'd uh, kind of off to the side, he'd say, yeah, I say, you, you kind of understand about people that have mental, mental problems, you, you know, because a lot of us in, in the rooms have other, other issues. And, uh, and, uh, and, and when you get sober, you notice people that are, are dealing with other things and uh, that have been maybe been dealt a little tougher hand than you have and uh, you know he just asked me how I thought about that and uh, you know what what uh, what my uh, what my what my thoughts were on it and uh, and I told me yeah, I think I do have a little bit more uh, uh, perception about it and that uh, he said that you know maybe that's something that God can maybe use use you to maybe help others and uh, just by being able to be uh, kind of tuned into that kind of stuff, and uh, and and through my sobriety, there's uh, you know I've able I've been able to recognize it in others. Uh, I suffer from uh, uh, depression. I've been clinically depressed a couple of times, and uh, hospitalized for it. And uh, so I I, I understand uh, what the deal is, and and, uh, uh, and I don't certainly don't understand everybody's affliction, but uh, there's an aptitude there that I think. Uh, uh, goes a long way to people that suffer from uh, substance abuse, and uh, usually there's some stuff underneath uh, all the partying and the the, uh, 
the compensating. And so uh, um, that's something that uh, uh, after I got done doing what I thought I needed to do, uh, because I, uh, I had a lot of uh, big shotism when I first got sober. I thought I needed to go, uh, since I was sober, I was going to have an edge on everybody, and I, I could rewrite the, the book, you know, and uh, get my own business started and make a whole bunch of money and, and prove to everybody that just because you're an alcoholic, you know, you can... Uh, you can overcome and, and, and be a big shot. And uh, I, 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 uh, I worked in a couple of businesses, one with a partner, and uh, that thing uh, uh, turned south, and uh, we wound up suing one another. And, and then I went back and started the, another business kind of in the same, doing the same thing on my own and, and uh, you know, put every, every nickel I had uh, and, and some more that I borrowed on it and uh, made the bet and uh, worked my ass off for 80 hours a week and... Uh, uh, still, still made the meetings, but uh, you know you gotta you gotta put the time in if you want to get something off the ground. And uh, when it uh, when it looked like it wasn't gonna pan out, that's when uh, my old ideas had to get had to uh, had to be reworked and re-engineered. And uh, that was the period that started uh, skipping up to about 15 years. That was that's when I thought I could take on that kind of responsibility and. Uh, you know, I thought I'd been sober long enough. I'd learned enough that, uh, you know, I got this type of attitude. And uh, that's something that uh, in varying degrees that uh, I've had to kind of get out there and, and learn uh, by taking the lumps. And, uh, and that's something that uh, my, my, I've had a lot of sponsors. I've had, uh, I've had six sponsors, and, uh, and five of them are dead. They, they, die all, they all died sober, uh, and they all died with a lot of years. And the one... My first sponsor that I had, uh, he's still sober. Uh, uh, haven't spoken to him in a while, but uh, after about three years, I, I uh, uh, life circumstance uh, was that I needed to get start working with somebody else, and uh, I kept still keeping contact with him. And uh, um, it's one of those things where uh, uh, over time you get to see how this thing does work, and uh, uh, you know you get you get out of it what you put into it, and. Uh, and the, and the third uh, understatement was it's an inside job. That's what they will always tell me. It was an inside job. And, uh, and that, I think, I got told that quite a bit because I was looking for a lot of externals to kind of validate uh, uh, what I was doing with, uh, with my life. And, uh, and I had uh, grown up in a, in a household that uh, uh, we certainly we were, we were better off than most growing up, and I wasn't want for anything, but... Uh, when uh, when I moved from uh, living in St. Louis when I was nine years old, moved to Texas, Houston, my father's business took off, and he became uh, very, very uh, financially well off, and uh, our lifestyle changed. And uh, I was very impressionable at that age, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, new cars, big houses, uh, uh, trips, all kinds of uh, the good life, as they would say, just a lot of material uh uh, accessories and that's how I kind of envision that my life ought to go that things ought to be real smooth and real uh, kind of uh, uh, cush like that and uh, and I, I thought that you know uh, if he, my old man could do it I could do it and uh, and, and there was a lot of expectations that uh, uh, more than likely I put those on myself I don't think uh, uh, maybe for a few years I blame my my upbringing for uh, you know all these all these uh, Markers that I was supposed to attain, but uh, uh, in, in, in reflection and, and 
uh, working a four-step on it, you realize that a lot of that stuff is just the stuff that you told yourself. And, uh, and it's part of that process of unlearning things I thought I knew. And, uh, and through my recovery, that's been a, 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 a continual process of unlearning. <coughs> unlearning a lot of the things that I assumed I knew and that just by default, uh, you know, that must be the way it's supposed to be. And, uh, and, I, and I found that uh, living in my higher powers world, uh, uh, things are the way he wants them, not necessarily the way I think they ought to be. And, uh, and that was a word that my father used to use a lot. He used to use the word maturity. He used to, I used to hear it, you know. And when you lose a parent, uh, a lot of the things they used to tell you that you kind of just blew off, those words and those phrases, they come back to you after they're gone. And it's, uh, it's an astounding thing. Uh, uh, a lot of, you know, he used to tell me count to 10, you know, particularly it used to be dealing with my mother. It's like, just hold your breath and count to 10. You know, and I never heard him say that to me. He said it many times to me, but I never heard him say it until after he was gone. And, uh, and, uh, and I'll, I'll backtrack to that. My father passed away when I was, when I was seven years sober. And uh, it was the toughest thing I've had to ever go through. Uh, 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 maybe, maybe the other thing was losing a dog that I'd had for 14 years uh, uh, who only saw me sober. So I got him when I was six months sober. And uh, that was, you know, I thought losing the old man was tough, but uh, the dog damn near, you know, I, I'd, have give, I'd have sawed off my arm for, for, uh, for if I could have kept him a little while longer. But uh, those are the stuff you hear in... Uh, Losing pets and sobriety is something that uh, I don't wish that on anybody. And uh, it's, it's kind of ironic that uh, Steve, uh, I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning it, but he, he lost his father, uh, oh, maybe a couple of months ago. And, uh, and I was at the memorial service, uh, uh, and, I, and I just, it just uh, it dawned on me that his, he, he was about seven years sober when he lost his dad. So that was something that, you know, it's kind of a bittersweet uh, Coincidence, but uh, you know, in these rooms, there's nothing that happens by coincidence. The old guys said that a lot too. They said nothing in AA happens by coincidence, and uh, and uh, I know that's you know. There's another thing that happened uh, when I was about 10, 12 years sober. I got a call from my old roommate. Uh, uh, we had rented a house in the in the last couple of years of college, and uh, we were just a couple of couple of drunk idiots and. Uh, uh, he was from Mississippi, and uh, he went back home, and uh, and uh, he, he, you know, he asked me. He says, "You know a guy named Bill and Bob?" I said, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. And uh, and old Garner's been sober about. Uh, he's I got about nine months on him, so he's been sober uh, over twenty nine years. And uh, if you'd have, if you'd have, you know made odds in Vegas of uh, two alcoholic uh, idiots <laughs> in in college that were just just uh, stumbling, you know drunk idiots uh you know that we'd both be sober uh you know a couple three decades uh i don't know if you could get odds on that that's that's uh, astronomical if if i think about it but uh anyway getting back to uh the rough patch uh around 17 years this business was was uh, going south and i was gonna have to walk away from it and uh uh, uh a lot of shame a lot of guilt a lot of remorse uh those old guys that I'd hung out with, that I'd made uh, connections with, you know, they'd come around. They saw that I was kind of going spiraling down, and uh, they were just there to offer support. You know, they weren't telling me how to do it or how to get out of it, but the, 
they definitely told me I needed to get my ass uh, to meetings and uh, just, uh, you know, surrender to the process. And uh, fortunately, I was able to uh, uh, turn it around after, uh, after a wake-up call there at the uh, Harris County School of Bad Acting. Uh, spent 14 days there, and uh, ironically enough, it was the same. It was the same time that uh, about six months after uh, Hurricane Katrina had hit uh, New Orleans, and so all, a lot of my uh, a lot of my fellow uh, travelers there were uh, were uh, reeling from the hurricane, and uh, most of them had moved over to Houston, and uh, and uh, and a lot of them were just uh, you know uh, heavily medicated and. Uh, you know, I just saw that, uh, you know, sometimes life throws curveballs at you that uh, are overwhelming. And that uh, the thing to remember when you're in a, a, a tight spot is that uh, there's always hope, you know, if we, uh, if we decide to throw down that shovel and quit digging. And, uh, and, and, and seeing people in that circumstance, uh, you know, it got me to thinking that maybe I needed to do... Uh, do some sort of a career change, you know, if things got back on track and I was able to get back, my feet back under me that maybe I, uh, maybe I had something to offer in the, in the, in the world of helping, helping other addicts and alcoholics. Uh, and so I went back to school to get a, uh, an alcohol counseling degree, uh, substance abuse counseling, LCDC. And, uh, I did the nine month, uh, <coughs> rigmarole there and uh, enjoyed it uh, hadn't hadn't been back to school sober in, in uh, 15 16 years and didn't know how how that was experience was going to be and I, I, I discovered that uh, I really enjoyed uh, going to class and learning new stuff and learning from people and uh, um, it's a whole lot better when you're not uh, hung over or drunk uh, you're a little more receptive to uh, new ideas and keeping an open mind and uh, Amazing how that works, but uh, uh, I went to try to do the rest of the uh, uh, internship that's required. It's like four thousand hours working at uh, you know minimum wage at a treatment center or some sort of a licensed facility, and uh, decided to leave Houston. Uh, I, I was tired of the living in a you know living amongst uh, three four million people, and uh, thought getting out to a small town might uh, do me good, and. Uh, I'd always spent a lot of time on, uh, my father had some land out in the country and spent summers up there and uh, enjoyed enjoyed that for a time of being out there uh, away from a city. And uh, so I moved to Kerrville and uh, wound up living there for about five years and uh, tried to get hired on at uh, the treatment centers out there and uh, uh, was just uh, at the wrong place at the wrong time. They weren't, there weren't any openings. And uh, so I worked at a, a a home for uh, delinquent uh, males out uh, in uh, Centerpoint, and uh, I did that for six months. Worked the graveyard shift there, and uh, for minimum wage, and uh, uh, learned a few things there, and, and uh, uh, enjoyed being around uh, younger guys. Since I'd always been the younger brother in my family, uh, it was a chance for me to kind of be the uh, big brother and uh, cook for him and. Uh, uh, call them when they when they screwed up and uh, drove them to meetings and that type of thing and then uh, and then uh, that that ended and uh, I was getting ready to head back to Houston to finish the uh, in, internship. Uh, a friend of mine had owned a treatment center and he said that I could get a job there if I wanted and uh, he'd be happy to hire me on. And uh, my landlord, uh, when he found out I was leaving, he said, "Why don't you uh, why don't you open a halfway house? There's a bunch of them in this town." Uh, Seems to be a good business, and 
another guy stepped in with a few bucks and uh, opened a halfway house uh, for some ungodly reason. And uh, <laughs> did that for about uh, uh, two years. It wound up being two years. And uh, it was a really uh, kind of a neat thing. It was just kind of a lark uh, stepping out on, uh, on faith. And uh, uh, people showed up with furniture. People showed up with food for these guys. Uh, 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 we'd always have something break on the house, and somebody would pitch in and help fix it. And uh, uh, the two years there, I, I really look back on... Uh, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of tough situations to deal with, understandably. But uh, it was uh, it was kind of a miracle in a way. Uh, there was a lot of miraculous things that happened that I won't bore you with. But uh, um, uh, I saw kind of God working behind the scenes, and uh, He made Himself, He revealed Himself in ways that were, uh, you know, I could talk about it with somebody that uh, I'd been that that been sober a little while, you know, and and. Uh, uh, the new guys maybe weren't really weren't in a place where they could kind of maybe get it, but uh, I had people that were that were uh, helping me along and you know would come in and try to sponsor the guys and lead meetings and stuff like that. So it drew a lot of recovery recovery people around it, and uh, that was all part of that uh, kind of God uh, revealing Himself in uh, in ways that you know it's uh, if you if you're there to witness it, uh, uh, you can. Uh, you see a lot more. A lot is revealed. More is revealed. And uh, but you got to put yourself in those type of situations. Uh, you know, if I was putting myself in a bar down on Sixth Street, uh, I don't know if I'd see a whole lot of those. Uh, you know, God kind of intervening and and uh, and doing those types of things. You know, the slippery places. And uh, you know, I like live music. And uh, uh, Kerrville's got a lot of live live music. Wimberley certainly does. Austin does. And, and uh, you know, I always go. I, I'd like to go hear live music, and uh, and a lot of people in recovery like to do that too. And uh, it's good to always have a wingman with you when you're going to the, that type of uh, environment. And uh, and that's just something that uh, when I was newly sober, the first couple of years, uh, I really liked the guys that talked about doing things. You know, uh, uh, doing everything they did, drunk or high, doing everything they did sober. And uh, and that's just something that takes repetition. And uh, and learning how to have fun, and learning how, learning what works, what doesn't work, and uh, and learning how amazing uh, recovery uh, when you're working a program and you're you're uh, you know doing what you need to do, you know when to get there and you know when to leave, and that's just one of those miracles of recovery that uh, has to be experienced uh, uh, because uh, if you are kind of a person that. Uh, likes to do things is kind of gregarious as, as uh, old Francis used to say uh, you know it's you got to get out there and live and uh, and I really made the connection between sobriety and living and uh, and and the, and the disease of addiction is about death and uh, these guys that had had a lot rougher goes at it you know that was the point of them rehashing the war story was to make the connection with addiction of being about death and then uh, the connection about sobriety being about life and living life and getting out there and, and, uh, and seeing what you like to do, you know. Uh, and, the, you know, there were things that I thought I liked to do when I, when I did them sober. It's like, they don't mean a whole hell of a lot to me. And then there were things I thought I'd never want to do that, uh, that were so, uh, so much fun, uh, sober, uh, whether it be a road trip to somewhere I never would have gone drinking, but because I was sober and there was something going on, 
and it may be 500 miles away, and there was some other crazy, uh, you know, sober alcoholic with me that said, you know what, I'll do half the driving. So you do it. And, uh, and then when you get back, you realize kind of how good a time you had, and you remembered it. <laughs> and, uh, and you remembered everything about it, and then you can kind of process it and process it with somebody that's in recovery. And that's kind of a, you know, good sponsor, sponsory relationship. You don't, half the time you don't know who's sponsoring who. And uh, it's a give and take exchange. And that's something that uh, the old guys told me about. And that was something that I'd, I'd realized would happen if, uh, if, you know, if I was with the right sponsor. And, uh, and that I could help him in areas where he, you know, in areas maybe where he needed uh, a wingman and, and vice versa. He would keep me out of situations that I needed, didn't need to suffer through. And so uh, that's, how, that's how sponsorship has worked with me. And, uh, and I, it's, it's, uh, it's tough when you pick old guys because uh, you wind up losing them. Uh, but uh, also the things they tell you stay with you. And, you, and they, they drop into your head at the right time. And, uh, and that certainly was the case uh, when I was at my, my lowest in sobriety. I was, uh, I was in this, in this uh, nut ward, and, uh, and I remember a story about a guy named Jack Napier. He was at the, uh, in St. Luke's in Houston. Uh, it was a Monday night meeting, and uh, he made a point to talk to, uh, to, to tell everybody that he had 17 years sober when he when just uh, an insane idea came to his head after a doubles tennis match that he could have a beer. And it was two and a half years later before he he uh, dragged his ass back into the meetings. Uh, you know, after divorcing his wife and marrying somebody he didn't know and Tijuana, and, you know, he recounted the the ugly the ugly story. And uh, he did it every time they called on him. And he was a distinguished guy. He was a sharp dresser. He he worked in Washington uh, at a very high level. Uh, he was just one of those guys that that sounded like a federal judge talking. And, and uh, he didn't he didn't belabor the point. He uh, you know he would share for a few minutes and uh, and tell that same story to remind himself. And uh, he talked about 17 years. And at the time I was hearing the story, he had had 17 years back in. So the 17 kind of 17 year mark kind of stuck in my head and. Uh, Lo and behold, when I was in that psych ward, I was I was uh, I was looking at 17 years of, of sobriety that I was contemplating uh, uh, cashing in, uh, and 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 I was wasn't going back to the drink. I was going to uh, suicide, you know, the, the coward's way out, and uh, and I was clinically depressed, and uh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And uh, oh, by the way, uh, nine months before, I had cut back on meetings, and then. Uh, Six months before that, I'd quit returning phone calls, and then the last, the last, uh, nine, you know, the last uh, sixty days in, the last ninety days, I quit uh, answering the door because my my sober buddies were banging on the door, you know. So uh, I was denying uh, the help, denying my friends that knew me that uh, that uh, were trying to help, you know, trying to help pull me back in the boat, and uh, and so. Uh, you know, if you if you go to AA and you make an impression and you make some friends uh, uh, and you want, find yourself in a tough spot, don't be surprised if there's some people that come get you. And uh, God has a funny way of putting people in your path, and uh, and He puts certain people in there for a certain reason. And uh, but you got to be around to see it and experience it and to feel it. And uh, and so uh, uh, you know, I, I, after the after the 
the near-death experience uh, in sobriety, I, I went to, thought I wanted to be a, a, a counselor and a and it didn't that that didn't work out the way uh, I I envisioned it was supposed to pan out, and and then some other opportunities occurred, and I took them, and then uh, and then right about the two year mark, uh, we were looking at trying to buy the house from the from the landowner that that originally proposed it, and uh, wanted me to put a number on it, and this this uh, philanthropist that was helping me uh, make ends meet. To, oh, by the way, just for the record, I didn't make any money doing it. <laughs> I was I was just take. Just keeping ahead of the, barely making the rent, and then something you know the plumbing would blow up, or uh, uh, you know tile would crack, or the floor would cave in, and so it was a it was kind of a a comedy of errors. But uh, uh, we were trying to make money on the real estate, and uh, the uh, the the building owner said, you know, you know, we're getting to the point where you need to make a decision. You want to buy this, and he put a number on it that was just uh, unfeasible. It wasn't going to work economically, and I was kind of burned out at the time. About 150 dudes had rolled through that place, and uh, and I, I had the reputation of being the last house of the last house. And uh, I would I would take a I would take a flyer on a guy that was uh, he had to be sober 30 days or out of a detox, and uh, and I would take guys didn't have jobs, they didn't have the first month's rent, and uh, I had some charity out of San Antonio. Half the time they'd pony up for the first month. Half the time they didn't. But uh, I would take a chance on a guy if he if he said he you know he wanted to stay sober. And uh, and the guys the guys that I took chances on that got jobs and uh, and made sure they paid the rent. They all stayed sober. And the guys that were just you know bleeding off somebody else. Uh, they never stayed sober. I had to kick them out. I ran and I ran a. I tried to run a good house, man. It was, it was, there was a zero tolerance for anybody that went and used that, you know, they're gone. And, uh, I'd let them stay out 30. They could come back after 30 days if they could stay sober 30, uh, to give them a second try. But, uh, you know, a few tried, but, uh, um, it, you know, if, if you run a house like that and there's a bunch more houses that don't operate like that, you're, you're not gonna, it's gonna be a tough uphill battle. And so I'd been, I, I burned out after about 150 guys, um, so I wanted to move on, and uh, about that time, a guy came by and uh, was looking for somebody that had been long gone. He was a, a process server. He was looking for uh, uh, child support, <laughs> yeah, state of Texas. And uh, he said, you know anybody who wants to do something like this? I get tired of driving all the way out here from San Antonio. I don't want to. I, uh, I said, what do you do? He says, I'm a process server. He says, I serve these documents, and they pay me 70, 80 bucks to come do it. I said, oh, really? And uh, smartphones had just come out, and you could... You could uh, pull up dirt roads on a damn smartphone, and uh, and so you know, punch in an address and it takes you right to it, and you didn't have to fool with uh, maps. Go maps, and uh, I said, you know, that might be something I I I could do, and uh, so I did the did whatever it took to do that, and uh, I started serving process, and I've uh, uh, been doing that for about ten years, and uh, I call myself the consequence guy. <laughs> and uh, and uh, at that time, the company I was working for was got the had the contract for the state of Texas, all the child support, back child support, and uh, and uh, I, I used up a couple of cars working for them, uh, just burning up the miles, but uh, and learned all about Texas. I combed the Gulf Coast, as Corpus and Port O'Connor, all that area, uh, did that, and kind of was on the road a lot, and and, and kind of liked being on the road, and uh, and then. Uh, and then as, as I was getting other types of clients, and, and uh, I was living out in Fredericksburg at the time, and, uh, and 
I just got tired of the, uh, driving two extra hours, and so I decided to move closer in, and that's when I, uh, that's when I moved to Wimberley. And, uh, and about that time, a guy that was in the PI business, uh, I, I did a little some work for him. He, was, he, he specialized in hard-to-find guys, and, uh, and a lot of that was infidelity-type work and uh, uh, referral cases. And so uh, he was giving me all his uh, paperwork on, on those types of guys, and so he asked me if I wanted to get in the PI business. And so... Uh, I did that for about five years and learned a lot from him. He was a really uh, interesting guy, and it was something again I never would have picked it for myself. But uh, I just it was the door that was open at the time, and uh, and so uh, uh, I did that for about five years. Uh, he wanted to have having a, a lot of health problems and decided to sell the company, and uh, and then I worked for a couple that weren't such good bosses in that business, and uh, and 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 had enough. Uh, I guess wits about me to to know when you're putting yourself in a in a a, a slippery, uh, tough situation when you're dealing with somebody that's not on the up and up, and you're putting yourself in a compromised uh, scenario situation that can go south real quick, and uh, uh, may never may never do that, but you got to be aware. You aware of your surroundings, I should say. And uh, again, I credit uh, just being able to see some of those flags that I never saw before. I just walked right into the buzzsaw before, but uh, having having sobriety, having uh, others around me that I could bounce ideas off of, and what was what I was thinking, and, and uh, uh, before I make the move, go to you people that are in your support network, and uh, and they told me they said uh, uh, when I was newly sober, they said everybody needs a support network, and. Uh, and even civilians out there, they have support networks. We just don't see them, you know, whether to be uh, with your church, with your work. You know, uh, we're just uh, alcoholics tend to kind of like to keep to themselves about stuff unless they unless they know somebody on, on a level that's uh, um, and even the stuff that you really can't talk to family about. You know, it's, you need you need more of an objective viewpoint. And uh, and so, uh, you know, that's why. Uh, and that's why having a support system around you is uh, is something that uh, uh, you know they they kept they kept stressing that that uh, in anything you do, especially when you're going to make a move, uh, you need to thoroughly vet it with people that uh, that have known you a while, that kind of know how you are, and uh, and maybe know how you react to things, and they kind of they kind of walk you through it, and uh, and that's really what sponsorship's been about. It's kind of just mirrors that same sponsorship concept and so uh, anyway uh, I'll jump back up to uh, uh, when this guy came in uh, where is he over there okay uh, I'll never forget uh, I get a call from him uh, and he won't mind me telling him he says uh, he says where would you send somebody that needed to go to one of them drying out places and I said oh, uh, that's an interesting question uh, let me check around I'll do some checking I know some people in that business and uh and then I get another call from him a few days later. It says, you, did you know, where, where do you think, uh, somebody that wanted to get sober, where do you think she goes, well, who, do you, who are you talking about? And he says, me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I knew a guy in Houston that ran a big recovery uh, operation down there. And I said, yeah, well, you can go there. There's one over there in Hunt. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's up to you, buddy. Whatever one you, know, whatever one you think might, might work. Because uh, that's the thing with, uh, with treatment centers, uh, just my two cents worth it's it's uh, it's kind of an outside issue but it's a lot of there's a lot of uh, it, it runs through a lot of people's head that the best treatment center to go to is the one that works and uh, 
And guess, guess what the big determining factor is, whether or not it's going to work. It's the, it's the guy looking in the mirror. It's you. And, uh, and, they, and, and the guys, the old guys that I took, because I didn't go to treatment when I got to my first AA meeting, uh, uh, I, I did it remedially. Uh, but uh, they, they, those guys had kind of a, a dour look on it. They, taught, they called them charm schools, spin drives. Uh, you name it, they, 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 you know, they captured me, false advertising. I met this car dealer guy. He said, I'm going to sue him because it was false advertising. Wouldn't he think like the brochure? And, and, uh, and uh, you know, they had a sense of humor about it. But uh, uh, those guys, that's really what they gave me. They gave me a sense of humor about not taking yourself so damn serious. And, uh, and uh, it's knowing when to be serious and when to kind of... Uh, Look at yourself and uh, knows that you you know uh, you may believe that bullshit, but nobody else does, and uh, and that's really those guys were uh, they saved my life and, and on so many levels. But uh, I remember this guy, uh, I, I you know I, I I saw him after he had a he got a day pass. We got something to eat in Kerrville, and he went back and finished up, and uh, and then I said you know I'm just gonna leave him alone, you know. Uh, he needs to he needs to uh, do it his way and and uh, and that's the thing you know you can tell an alcoholic or an addict but you can't tell them much <laughs> and uh, and uh, they're gonna do it their way and uh, that's kind of like the uh, six and seven step you know we do it our way till it hurts too much to do it our way and then we then we start asking how to do it it's it's, it's going from knowing to asking knowing going from knowing to asking is a is a painful process. And uh, and I said I said well, how th you know he was taking uh, care of his elderly parents and they, they weren't you know they were not physically not in good shape and I go Steve how many meetings have you been to and this is thirty days after he got out and he said hadn't been to a one I said how about drop the phone I said are you fucking shitting me <laughs> I said get your ass over I had never I hadn't been to Bolden I, I'd wanted to go because uh, I'd heard some things about it and. Uh, I said, You're gonna, we're going to meet for a steak at the Hofbrau, and then we're going to go to Bolton. This is your first meeting, wasn't it? Yeah. Outside. <laughs> <And so, laughs> anyway, I just about, I couldn't believe it. I, I just about had a shit that, on the phone. But uh, I was like, <laughs> 30 days without a meeting, man. <laughs> I, I just thought, you know, selfishly, I thought of myself. I said, I, I, I've been a dead duck, you know. So uh, anyway, uh, Steve's come a long way. Uh, He's, uh, he was uh, invaluable to his mother and father, and, uh, and that's not easy to be around people that are, that are uh, suffering physically, and uh, he did it with a lot of courage. Uh, you see people with a lot of courage in these rooms. You see them go through stuff. I know a lot of guys and gals that have uh, you know, gone through cancer treatment, seen a lot of that, and, uh, you know, the, and how, they, how they do it and the way they do it. Uh, it's inspiring. Uh, it gives you a lot of strength. And it's like, you know, I'm bitching about stuff, and here's this guy, uh, you know, trying to get through leukemia. And uh, a lot of my friends have, have, have made it through. Another guy had, uh, had cancer, uh, you know. Uh, and then, you know, there's the stories of the people that uh, don't make it, and a lot of us don't make it. And, uh, um, but we all can. We all can make it if we do what the next right thing and, uh, and don't pick up that first drink or drug. And... Uh, uh, shit, I'm I'm getting out of time, running out of time. But uh, um, just uh, you know, if you don't have a sponsor, uh, start talking to some people that got a little time, and uh, just ask them, hey, uh, 
you got time for a cup of coffee, you got time to uh, smoke a cigarette, bend an ear. Uh, sometimes that's all it takes, just five, ten minutes of somebody's time. And that's the most valuable thing you got is your time. And uh, uh, when, you, when you spend some time and, and coming out of that, coming out of that real rough patch, uh, I volunteered it, not to, not to toot my own horn, but uh, I volunteered at MD Anderson for a year. Uh, once a week, going over there, working at the help desk. Just I, I wasn't, I didn't do Jake. Uh, the lady that was crippled up with uh, with uh, uh, arthritis on the keyboard, she did ten times what I did, but I did what she told me to do. And uh, neatest lady in the world, she let me kind of hang out with her, and uh, and that was real helpful as far as uh, thinking you got a bad, uh, been dealt a bad hand in your life, you know, and seeing people pushing around all these poisons and uh and then people coming in wanting to help people that had been checked into the hospital wanting to do their laundry and clean their house up and stuff like that. you just see stuff and you're you're you've got your awareness about you where you can kind of put two and two together they don't have to tell you the whole story you can kind of see it and see how people are helping other people and uh and giving a damn about them and uh and that makes you want to be like that you know it's about attraction not promotion and it's and that and and you know, I, I was only able to see that stuff uh, by being sober and uh, and working some kind of a program. So, anyway, that's that's enough out of me. Thanks, Steve. Thank you.